This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside Wharton Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle the latest market trends every week on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Our guest consists of experts like the world's leading authority on long-term economic growth, Bob Gordon. We will continue to see jobs created rather than destroyed. Former chair of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen. I mean, I don't think either of us ever expected that we would live through a financial crisis. Or even the head of the Digital Indian Foundation, Arvind Gupta. The reason that people are talking about India is massive digitization and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome to Behind the Markets here in Business Radio, powered by the Warren School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, Global Head of Research at Wisdom Tree. My co-host for the day, Wharton Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, author of Stocks for the Long Run and the Future for Investors, Lee Chen Ren, Director of Modern Alpha at Wisdom Tree. The markets are closed, but we are live broadcasting from our home studios today. Uh, it's going to be great bringing some good commentary during these volatile times here. Uh, please note, I'm Marissa, representative of Foresight Fund Services. Professor Siegel is a senior advisor to Wisdom Tree. Our discussion is not tied to the offer of selling investment products. And the views of our guests are their own and not those of Wisdom Church affiliates. Professor, a good week in the markets. The employment data, not so much, um, but uh, the market sort of shrugged it off. Lots of activities by the Fed. What's your your current sense? Yeah. Uh, all right. So here, here's my current sense. Um, we're definitely pla- we're definitely plateauing. Uh, you know, virtually everywhere where social distancing is is taking place um and we talked about this trend last week uh the numbers continue to be encouraging uh out of new york um and and elsewhere uh we actually uh had a now new projection of the total amount of deaths from the uh, cdc uh which as you know had ranged as high on the top end of 240,000 now brought somewhere between 60 and 70,000, which is a big reduction. Um, and that's, I think, you know, in and of itself, that, that is favorable. Second favorable, of course, what, what the Fed did um, uh, on Thursday, uh, you know, increased the lending even more state and local governments, buying ETFs and high-yield bonds, and these are unprecedented uh, measures. Uh, uh, without a question, um, what and this has all led to uh, you know, uh, th- those that were extremely short in the market. Obviously, are you know uh, saying, hey, maybe uh, you know maybe it's time to 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 cover right now. The the question is, we regained half the loss. I mean, uh, this is not unusual in a bear market rally. Um, it increases my confidence that we did reach the lows. So the question is, how much higher can we go now? Where where do we where do we go now? Uh, how, you know, how how do you reopen? Um, my my feeling is that uh, it's hard to see a meaningful reopen. Um, Without one of two things happening, a very big decline in the number of new cases, which might be seasonal as warm weather comes, um, and that might encourage it. 
um, or secondly, more likely some development of a of a therapeutic. Remember, tests are not in yet. Um, there are uh, five or six very promising therapeutics. I'm not talking about vaccines. I'm talking about therapeutics that can really mitigate the worst effects of this virus. I think that that, in my opinion, is the key to getting people back to work. And that is that we could really treat this um, as someone who has the flu, which, of course, uh, goes around all the time. <laughs> um, uh, absent that, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to see a lot of more meaningful gains um, on that. At the same time, I did mention last week, and I, I, I thoroughly believe that uh, the, the government's adding liquidity to the system um, permanently. Um, money supplies are rising. I was actually just checking um, the money supply data. It uh, usually comes out uh, Thursday afternoon. I don't know because of Good Friday whether we ever have it or not. Um, yeah, um, I'm just looking at it. Yeah, a, bit, a big increase again. This liquidity is going to feed into 2021, to be sure. It's suppressed now. Um, but if we, if we get uh, people going back, this will feed a positive factor. And I think that's another positive. So I think two, the two positives, mitigation is working. Therapeutics, we're waiting, but there's a lot in the works that might, uh, that might uh, be effective. And third, there's a tremendous amount of liquidity, you know, built up, repressed, but liquidity in that system ready to burst out once uh, people feel uh, that they can actually venture to normal activities. And I think that justifies the levels of uh, the market. Now, earlier on the week, uh, on Monday, we had a call and I heard you talk about something we haven't really talked about in a while, but, um, you know, everybody's been dissatisfied how the Fed never really got their 2% inflation mandates. And you were talking maybe, maybe all this liquidity next year turns into more inflation pressures. Any you want to comment on our show here about what, what you were sort of saying there? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think that Again, let's assume that we have an effective therapeutic and or vaccine. The confidence returns in early 2021. Um, I hope it's earlier, and that could be, by the way, but uh, at least by then. All this built-up liquidity has got to go somewhere. (laughs) Uh, And I think uh, that it's going to press prices upward because there's going to be a big demand. People have repressed demand. They'll be going out. They'll be going on deferred vacations, and they'll have the money to do so now. Um, and this, uh, you know, we were tied up uh, with a 3.5% unemployment rate. Whoa. You know, that's going to press labor. Labor wages are going to go up. Prices go up. The Fed obviously has a 2%. I mean, it's falling below 2 Now, we had a CPI today that, again, was weak, certainly this year. But next year, I think we could go to 3 three and a half, four, um, toward the end of the year. And, yeah, the Fed will only mildly step on the brakes. It's, it's, it's going to be, it's not going to, re- you know, it's, it's, it's going to be loath to really slam on this because it'll call it a, a virus recovery and let it, and let it rip, um, which might actually finally let commodity and commodity-based economies do better next year. 
um, after years of being, uh, you know, not well, although gold has done well this year. Um, so I think there might be more inflation. And, and of course, what, what is the number one thing? This ain't good for bonds, not long-term treasuries um, or long-term corporates. Uh, uh, you know, is it possible that the 40-year bull market in treasuries that peaked in 1980 at 14% and is now a half percent might finally turn around? It could turn around in 2021. That's that's one of my increasing sentiments as I look at at the uh, at the economy. That's a very big picture worldview. We're going to have a, a great guest, Shane Rines of Avalon, being talking about his views on some of these issues. Um, just before we say goodbye, I know you, uh, we've been talking with Lee Chen uh, on her take on the virus situation. Lee Chen, there's a lot of different news angles on, on the virus. What's your current, any of the things that are standing out to you on just how the virus progression has, has gone around the world? Um, I think uh, first, yeah, as Professor Siegel said, the curve in the U.S. is plutonium. On the other hand, um, it is not coming down fast enough. Um, so there, there are some still some concerns for this wave, but really the attention is moving to the second wave. You know, to this, how do we open up the economy afterwards? And I think there you can look at some um, evidence from other countries. For example, um, Sweden, you know, last week we talked about uh, Taiwan uh, never shut down the economy. Sweden is another one. And their death rate um, is not low either. Uh, the, the number of deaths per million population is actually higher in the U.S. But people there seem to uh, take it uh, as a given. So if, if you believe people here feel they could live the kind of, you know, death number as in Sweden, then, you know, it will be a very different ballgame in terms of how the economy uh, get back uh, to normal. And the other um, news is from Singapore. So Singapore, we've talked about, it, it is one of the you know top countries in terms of meticulous uh, contact tracing and testing. Uh, and even there, they have to have a, a, a some word, they call it a so-called breaker. They didn't want to use the word a stay, at, a stay, stay at home. Uh, because they have some um, outbreaks in the gas worker dorms. And this is also another um, area to show that this virus really laid bare for all countries where the weaknesses could be, you know, potential. Singapore was a very rich country, but they have a pretty large gas worker program. Most of them, you know, live in dorms, uh, which is much more like, you know, second or third world uh, kind of a situation than than the gleaming you know singapore images that you 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 know most people are used to so they have in this situation in terms of china right now um most of the news is pointing toward some spotted uh, clusters so for example in northern china there was a small city that went back into a lockdown lockdown situation because they were having so many imported cases from russia um, and in the southern city of Guangzhou, which is very economically uh, important uh, province for China, for Guangdong, uh, within the African immigrant uh, uh, cluster, there are about a couple thousand people under observation right now. But so far, most of it is still uh, locally, and the hope is, you know, to be contained uh, locally. And also, uh, to add to Professor's point on therapeutics, you and I have been talking about, you know, the 
there are some statistical information showing that countries that have had the TB vaccine, which is much more prevalent uh, in in like countries like uh, um, uh, you know China and uh, in Asian countries, they have had you know significantly lower. Uh, death rate than countries that have not uh, done the TB vaccine, which because you know most of developed countries already um, you know, have so few cases of TB, so it's understandable you know we are not you know our kids are not vaccinated uh, against TB, but there's research coming out of this line of research. Uh, right now it's all correlation, but if this is indeed you know medically shown that it could be uh, helpful in. Reducing death rate—that will be another uh, positive news. Yeah, uh, Li Qian, and you, you, your research is wonderful. You had, you know, sent it to me, and I've been, I've been looking through it. Uh, and the situation from Sweden is, is certainly fascinating. Are are they? Uh, do are they? Uh, they still have restaurants open, shops open. Uh, yeah. Are they uh, encouraging social distancing while still? Opening uh, their economy, um, where, where yeah. do where, do you know where they stand on that? So the general idea is that they are really practicing this libertarian uh, point of view that you can own, you really want to rely on people voluntarily doing social distancing instead of you know stay enforced, stay at home policy. So restaurants are still open. Of course, they encourage people to to have, but it's not required. Mm-hmm. I see. And no requirements on masks. Only they, I just saw that the country of Austria just required it. I think also maybe Czechoslovakia. There's a couple small countries in Europe. I, I thought I also saw Turkey, which I thought was really interesting. I thought that they also may have required uh, masks, but um, that... Yeah, there's no requirement uh, to wear a mask. I yeah. think uh, all, all all the things they have done is, it's you know they lay out the potential you know pros and cons and completely rely on people like these and everybody you know do your own social distancing. Mm-hmm. I see. But the 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 number of deaths uh, is not low, so they have about eight hundred seventy deaths, which uh, translates for a population of ten million. That's about you know eighty five per million deaths. Which is higher than the U.S. U.S. Yeah. has about 50 million, uh, 50 deaths per million. Uh, another interesting thing is that I don't know if you've been reading. Um, th- there's there's some evidence about whether uh, uh, ventilators yeah. are being used properly or overly used, and there may be other ways of of promoting the oxygen flow. Um, I, I yeah. don't know if. If you've read some of these medical reports, I read reports. some of this uh, as well. Actually, um, in the beginning of the situation in China, there are Chinese doctors who said that the way the advanced ventilators actually was not used correctly, in the sense that it actually overwhelms the patient. So they changed some of the protocols, and this was uh, kind of shared, um, to hopefully shared, you know, by doctors. Um, and there's uh, there are a lot of things that are not well understood in terms of how to treat the patients. I think a lot of doctors are, you know, trying to cure the patients at the same time doing research. So a lot of these information is coming out, but so far none of them are uh, 
it's a kind of well researched. So Professor, this is more like a, a, a observation. I want to bring in uh, our guest before we run out of time on the first segment. So, yes. Professor, thanks so much for joining us on, on yeah, for some commentary you. to start thanks it off. Thanks for having me. Yes. And uh, Lee Chen, thanks for the, 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 uh, the virus commentary here. Uh, let me bring in Samuel Rines, Chief Economist from Avalon Advisors. Sam, um, you know, I'd just like to get your, your take generally on what's been happening in the markets, how you're talking to clients, and then I definitely want to drill into some of the things we've talked about on past shows, on, on all this uh, modern monetary theory, all the aggressive stimulus sort of spot on for what's going on right now, Sam. Oh, well, hey, thanks for having me, Jeremy. Uh, our, you know, our kind of general take on the markets generally is, you know, the equity market is reacting pretty well to the incoming flow of data, very similar to what uh, Professor Siegel said earlier. Uh, but what we're watching more closely is the credit markets and how credit markets are reacting to both the Fed stimulus uh, and the incoming data. And we've begun to see a little bit of tightening in around uh, credit markets from uh, the recent highs, but there's still quite a bit of room uh, to go, and credit markets are a little more sending a little bit more of a tentative signal uh, about the recovery and the pain to come than equity markets are. So we're really focused on uh, telling our clients, uh, you know, this is the way that we're viewing the world, uh, this is the way that we think. Uh, about the world and attempting to keep a pretty steady hand through this uh, while we begin to understand what the uh, kind of the bottom looks like in terms of the economy and what the other and kind of getting an idea of what the uh, other side looks like. And to be completely frank and open, you know, the other side is very opaque at the moment. And anyone who kind of throws out the uh, you know, it will look like this uh, probably is attempting to grab a headline, not actually playing with the data. Yeah. And, you know, things have moved you know so fast and furious in both directions on the downside and now sort of recouping half the losses. Um, small caps were up almost 20 percent last week. What do you think about just the pace of this recovery? And, and as, as you think about just where you go from here, how you think about just the really fast moves that we've had on the rebound here? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, it's 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 two parts, right? It's the Fed has our back. You know, that's always something that markets want to see. Uh, but the other side of it is markets likely overreacted uh, and priced in the worst possible outcome very quickly, and now maybe pricing in a better outcome than uh, we think is necessarily the case. It might be the case, but it may not be. Uh, but it looks as though markets are really trying to figure out what the other side of this looks like and who the winners and losers are uh, and whether there are going to be as many losers as people thought a month ago. Yeah, one of your your uh, weekly emails talked about all the new high frequency data points that you're starting to look at because you know the economic stats are just uh, sort of old news and they don't come out quickly. What's what are the your favorites of the new high frequency data points you're starting to track? Maybe review a few of them. What do you think is going to be the most important that you're watching going forward? Uh, the mo- so we think of it as somewhat of a kind of the the U.S. economy isn't a single entity. It's something that is, you know, fairly complicated and diverse. And different places, different sectors are going to open up at different paces. Uh, So we're watching traffic data from TomTom to figure out the regionality of the restart and where things are going to be relatively better. Uh, And then we're looking at open table data to see how quickly that comes back. It's going to be interesting to see 
the, the different the differentiation between services bouncing back and uh, manufacturing bouncing back. I think manufacturing probably you can social distance a lot easier there. That probably begins to come back and probably doesn't go as low as the services side of the world. So we're paying attention to that data. Uh, and then we're paying attention to uh, Flight Tracker 24 data on airplane landings uh, and passenger traffic uh, to understand the dynamics around business travel, whether that has changed. You know, in the shock of 9-11, we had a three-year recovery after that. Uh, for airline uh, passengers to get back to the pre-crisis levels, uh, we're paying. And then we didn't have Zoom or FaceTime and the ability to work from home. So I think it's there's something to watch there in terms of whether or not consumers begin to change their habits and how they change their habits and how businesses change uh, their uh, expenditures and their outlays for marketing and face-to-face meetings. So I think there's there's a number of very high-frequency data points that allow for a very quick view of how things are evolving, how consumer mindsets have evolved, and how business outlays have evolved. Let me just uh, reintroduce you guys. We're talking with Sam Rines, a chief economist at Avalon Advisors, listening to Behind the Markets on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. We have Lee Chen Ren on the line as well. Um, and so, Sam, you know, one of the things with all this unprecedented, like how, you know, there's so much action by the government, the Fed. How are you reading? I mean, we talked on one of our, our prior episodes uh, from coming back from Camp Kotak in Maine, and you guys did a, a debate on is modern monetary theory coming? And you basically said it's inevitable. And uh, and here it is in some ways. Like, what do you think is is happening here? And what do you, how do you think you protect portfolios from it um, when you're thinking about Putting things into into portfolios for clients. Uh, yeah, that was a that was a fun debate. That was a that was a good time. Uh, the, the interesting part about MMT as a framework is that it always described, in a lot of ways, the way that monetary policy and fiscal policy were interacting around the world uh, for quite a while. It wasn't like it suddenly popped up. The It simply became much more obvious that it was the framework that best described the world uh, starting a month ago. Uh, the way that we view it is this time the Fed is largely using its ammunition, we call it dynamite, uh, largely using its dynamite to blow up any dam that might get in the way of the flow of credit and anything that it sees that may, in fact, interfere with that flow of credit. Uh, we don't necessarily think that this is inflationary for quite some time because the Fed is attempting to fill very large cash flow gaps. Right? The U.S. economy came to a sudden stop. Uh, that makes it very difficult for consumers to pay rent, mortgages, credit cards, auto loans, uh, that makes it very difficult for business owners to pay their mortgages. Uh, that makes it very difficult for the property owners to pay their debt servicing. And so this all spirals into a sudden stop in cash flow and credit. And that's really what the Fed is attacking. So it's trying to fill a crevasse, a credit crevasse that opened very, very quickly. And they don't know how deep it is. They don't know the duration of the stoppage. Uh, so we, we're not sure that what the Fed is doing right now is going to be inflationary in in any way kind of whatsoever. What we're paying attention to really is how long after the 
uh, call it the recovery begins, the Fed sticks around with all of its programs. I think that's going to be the most important part. And there's no guarantee that inflation is going to show up in a meaningful way. Uh, we would be we would be watching it closely, uh, but we're not concerned about it until we begin to see the way that the economy begins to recover, uh, the way the Fed continues to support the economy through the recovery. I highly doubt that the Fed is going to continue to buy a significant amount of credit during the recovery. Uh, I would say that interest rates will remain low, but you'll begin to see a phase out of many of the programs that the Fed is currently doing as we begin to recover. So I, I would I would be reticent to predict a runaway inflation, and that's the that's the way that we're viewing uh, client portfolios at the moment. We're not ready to say that inflation runs away. Uh, we're we're much more uh, concentrated on getting a very good handle on how the recovery is beginning to take shape, uh, where it's taking shape, uh, and how the Fed is reacting to that recovery. So that's, that that I think is going to be the most important. Uh, part of allocating client portfolios for the foreseeable future, and that inflation is something that is a risk down the road, uh, but something that's probably a 2022-2023 type event. Yeah, interesting. You know, we were talking to Professor Siegel last Monday on sort of related issues, and and he, you know, he he, he was talking about how you know what's different in this environment in some ways. Um, now, obviously, everything's shut down at the moment, but as things open back up. Um, you know, the, the transfers that we're having now is actually putting direct cash into people's bank accounts where, as the QE programs before, just kept all the money in excess reserves at the Fed. It didn't actually get out to the real economy. And a lot of the programs now are putting cash, you know, now that assumes that you get back to work, that you then have these inflation pressures and there's not like this lasting permanent damage from the shutdown. Um, yeah. So yeah. Might, so, so sir. No, no, I was going to say, so it just depends on how quickly we are able to get back up to work. Yeah, and so, and so my, the only pushback that I would have there is that you're basically putting enough money in people's pockets to pay the rent, the auto loan, and buy some food for about a month, right? You're not putting 5000 to $10,000 in people's pockets where when they get to the other side of this, they're going to have a lot of extra cash. Uh, one a Fed survey found that, a, you know, the, call it 33 so 40% of Americans either would need to sell something or could not cover a $400 expense, right? So we're, it's not as though the majority of Americans are going to see this stimulus check and go, wow, I'm going to have money to go to a restaurant. It's let's pay the bills. Uh, so I think it's, it's more, I think that's less of a stimulus and more of a patching over of the, of the current uh, shutdown, right? Mo- the majority of the, you know, call it 20 to 25 million Americans are likely to be out of a job in the, you know, from the beginning to the end of this. And that's, that's a significant amount that doesn't have cash flow coming except for from the government. So I'm not sure that we're going to have a significant tailwind from the current fiscal package on the recovery. I think it's more of a survival check uh, than a stimulus check. Uh, on the other side, I think the other one to pay really close attention to is that businesses are likely to view this as a wake-up call of either having too many employees or not having a productive enough uh, business model and really beginning to think hard about 
how they grow their businesses. I don't think you're going to see the same type of leverage on small businesses. I think small businesses are going to be reticent to hire back all of their employees. It's much more likely that they're going to look at this and say, I need a much larger cash buffer. I need to really think about this. And you're going to begin to see a world where savings begins to become a much larger uh, part of the equation uh, than simply the spending and consumption side. So I, I would say there's there's a number of kind of ways that this can play out that are much more on the disinflation side than on the pure inflation side. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. From your high-frequency data, this Li Chen, are you in the U.S. There are still, um, you know, a couple of states which are not uh, doing any uh, stay-at-home. Uh, are you seeing that their economic um, slowdown is less than the other the other states? Because those states could offer, you know, a good data point in terms of how other states can come back. Sure. Um, so to a to a large extent, we we think. Uh, that, that they're probably the anomaly. Um, I don't think you're going to see um, New York do the same thing. New York, you know, is the size. New York, California, and Texas basically are. Um, I think it's forty. I think it's fifty-eight percent, something along those lines. That, that number might be wrong, but it's a significant portion of the U.S. economy, and those economies are not going to open up in the same way as Middle America. I think that's that's just a fact. You know, we're going to have to see how the large economies of the U.S. begin to come back to work and to a large extent uh, ignore uh, the places that don't have to have social distancing uh, and haven't had it. They're just they're somewhat uh, irrelevant to the way the rest of the country is going to open up. So Sam, let's you know we're running out of time on the first segment, but let's um, maybe try to boil down all of the, all of what we talked about into what you're doing for clients. If you know if, if you're seeing clients react too negatively, are they looking at this as people putting money to work? Like, how would you boil down your final like what what you're sort of looking at doing in portfolios today? What you're trying to advise clients to be cautious on? How do you, how do you boil it down into basic recommendations for people? Sure. So we, we boil it down to this is this is probably a long, this isn't a complete quick restart. This is going to be uh, a restart in fits and starts. Uh, there's going to be false starts, et cetera, uh, around the country. Uh, so we're uh, we published a piece uh, about uh, two weeks ago uh, concerning uh, our views in the uh, investment grade muni uh, and investment grade. Uh, corporate space, we we like those spaces. We think those are interesting, particularly where uh, the Fed has your back. Uh, those are places to really look for some tightening uh, that gives you much better yields than you've had for quite some time. Uh, the Fed is purchasing uh, both of those. So they, they, it creates an environment uh, that allows for uh, taking advantage of some of the dislocations uh, on the on the equity side, we've been we've been fairly uh, steady-handed uh, with client portfolios through this. Uh, so recommendations there are largely uh, call it are largely uh, similar to what we were doing pre-corona uh, crisis. Very good. Um, any other final closing thoughts? Things we haven't covered to to wrap it up. Uh, the Fed has more dynamite. The Fed will throw more dynamite at any dam that pops up uh, with the flow of credit. Uh, So watch for more Fed action in coming weeks.
Yeah, this is amazing how they just continually drip out this dynamite, and it's like big bang. <laughs> Each stick is bigger than the next. I mean, they, they just keep doing unbelievable amounts of uh, activity. Thank you so much, Sam. It's been a pleasure to, to reconnect here on the show. The Fed manufactures the dynamite. Thanks for having Thank me. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about WisdomTree, visit wisdomtree.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy D. Schwartz. I'd like to thank Patty Hall for producing our live program on SiriusXM channel 132 and our podcast producer, Daniel Bruno. Join us next week for another edition of the show. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. 